Hey, thanks for tuning in to this special edition of the Hope Community Podcast. It's another flashback episode. Check it out. Hello? You back there? Before you go downstairs, there's a video. Can you play it for me real quick? We're going to continue our series called uh, Things Jesus Never Said. Uh, Go ahead and turn that up a little bit on the Mac. Yes. Hello. Welcome to the First Christian Church meeting. Here are the rules. Rule number one, spend all of your free time in church. Rule number two, you're not allowed to have any fun unless you're laughing at how dumb the devil is. Rule number three, wear t-shirts with my face on it. Rule number four, always smile and act happy. And finally, wear a stylish beard like mine. I knew it! Jesus! Ah! No one told me about this meeting! And nice try, sissy! You said I could be a Christian if I gave up all my fun and grew this beard! Look at my beard! Well, I heard that you missed the prayer meeting for a silly game. But I had tickets to the Super Bowl, Jesus! That was incredible! The Israelites drove down and kicked the field goal and the rest sounds good! Be quiet. No, well... The football! No. can't believe my dad showed up. How embarrassing. Oh crap, my fake beard fell off. They're totally gonna kick me out. Er, wait. Is, what's he saying? We're all going to play football or something? Yeah, football, yeah. Alright, stop. Stop crying. Rise. You can be a Christian if you promise to burn all of your footballs and never miss church again. Promise? Yeah, oh boy. So, uh, last week we talked about, um, did Jesus ever say that there was anything that disqualified you from the Father's love? And we went into some pretty in-depth things. We talked about um, how Jesus revealed who the Father is. And if you want to know who God is, you have to see Jesus because Jesus is the one who's seen the Father. He came from the Father. He walked, talked, and showed people Father. And so if we want to know who he is, then we have to see Jesus, and we look at what he did and what he talked about. And there was never a moment when Jesus ever said anything about some sort of disqualifying thing that would keep the Father's love for you, from you. And we talked about how we're all wounded children. We're we're at some point, there's a wound that happened that caused us, not the Father to separate from us, but for us to separate from the Father. And that he is constantly reaching out to his wounded kids to bring love and peace and restoration. There's not a moment when his arms are not open wide. And we talked about the parable of the prodigal son and the dancing father, how that is the father's intent. His intent is that humanity, who he calls his kids because we are all created in his image, he's calling them home. And he's throwing a party for them as they come home. There's no rejection. There's no, oh, wait a second. You still got to shed this and shed that. No, it's come home. Okay? So after teaching on that last week, this, this week has been an interesting process because 
I kept running into people over and over again, and a passage of scripture kept being brought up to me, and then I was in another situation where there was a gentleman talking, and he was talking about perseverance, how you need to persevere and have to push, and was talking really about ministry, and how, um, you know, there's, there's three things that you do to persevere, and the first one was that you have to have love for Jesus, or love, and love for the Father, and I was like, well, yeah, that's awesome, yeah, love for the Father, yes, connecting, growing, uh, and living in that love, that's awesome, yes, that helps us persevere, and the second one was you got to love the message, and I was like, Okay, yeah, you got to love the message, you got to love the gospel. The gospel is energy and life because it's good news. Yeah, I love the good news. That'll help you persevere. And then he said, then you'll be able to love your neighbors, but loving your neighbors is not that important. You got to love God and love the message first, and then you'll eventually love the neighbors. And I was like, okay, well, yeah. And then he made a statement, and it shocked me. He said, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff going around about loving yourself, and loving yourself really isn't denying yourself and taking up your cross. You really shouldn't love yourself. He didn't quite say it that way, but he could have and should have went ahead and said it because that's what he was basically saying. Don't really love yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. And it was like the seventh time that I had heard that passage of scripture and heard somebody say that you're not really supposed to love yourself, you're just supposed to get through it. And I was like, that's not perseverance. So then I started thinking, did Jesus really, what was he talking about when he said deny yourself and take up the cross? What's he talking about? So I looked up a couple passages of scripture. So this is what we're going to talk about today. Did Jesus uh, say deny yourself because you don't matter, take up the cross? Is that what he said? Or did he say something else? Well, here's the thing. It depends on what translation you read. And you should really pay attention to what translation you read because... The original languages that the Bible was written in is not English. And so when it comes to translating the Bible from Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew, a lot of times what happens in translation is whatever doctrine, theology, or whatever group that that Bible's coming from, guess what theology and doctrine is going to be in that translation? Theirs. So I hope, because I got all, I love Bibles. Lindsay says I have too many Bibles, and um, I finally got them all out of the house, and now they're here, and I have like six Bibles at home. Six, okay, maybe ten Bibles at home, different translations. First one I looked up was the ESV translation, and I went to those passages where Jesus is talking about taking up your cross and denying yourself. But in the ESV it says this, Whoever does not take up his cross, this is Matthew 10, 38. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's intense. 16, 24, Matthew says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's serious. But if we compare those translations to the Passion Translation, and you can also throw in the NIV, the Message and uh, even the New American Standard, it has a little, it's same intense language, but with a different perspective. Verse 38 in the Passion Translation says this, Whoever comes to me must follow in my steps and be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own. He, he cannot be, or he cannot be considered my disciple. Same intensity, Right? There's some very intense language there, some calling out, but also at the same time, there's a different perspective. 
Verse 24 in the Passion Translation says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your life. Okay? And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own as you continually surrender to my ways. Okay? So, two different translations, both carry heavy tone, heavy seriousness, and the... ESV, in my opinion, this is my opinion. Everybody say, this is mixed opinion. Okay, thank you. <laughs> in my opinion, it almost sound, sounds uh, masochistic. Is that the, how you pronounce it? How you say it? Almost taking delight in denying you. It's almost the picture, I don't know if you watched old movies with uh, monks, and they're walking down the street, and they're chanting, and they've got whips, and they're, uh, 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 whip on the back, uh, you know, and they're beating themselves into submission. Have you ever seen that before? The translation, the way it's bringing it out, almost sounds like that. It's almost like you've got to beat yourself, you've got to hurt yourself, you've got to just get yourself in this position where you deny who you are. The passion carries a weight in its translation, but it also shares the, de- shares the depth of what it is and what it means to follow Christ. It points to the important part, Jesus. So when Jesus says to deny yourself, what does he mean? Well, what was, we talked about this last week, and we've talked about this a lot. When Jesus was speaking, talking, interacting with folks, what was he trying to do? There was two things he was trying to do. He was trying to open eyes to see who the Father really is. He was trying to reveal to them, this is who the Father really is. I know you've been told, I know you've sat under a bunch of tradition, I know you've been taught a bunch of things, I know there are a bunch of rules that you feel like you have to follow, but I'm telling you, this is what the Father wants, you. (laughs) The other thing Jesus is trying to show you, and show us, and show the people when he was walking around was, hey, How you're living and what you're doing is not who you really are. You have a true, real identity, and the Father reveals it to you through His Son, Jesus. And so when He's talking about denying yourself, He's talking about denying the false identity of who you've always thought you were and what somebody else may have thought you were, what you've been told your entire life, That's what he's telling you to deny. He's telling us to lay down who we used to be, our idea of who we were, who others said we were, to deny that and take up the cross. The cross is the defining moment that revealed the true definition of the Father and the true definition of you. So he's saying take up the real picture of Jesus and take up the real picture of you because in all honesty, that's the good news. And he says, go and share that good news with everybody. Take that with you. Take identity with you. True identity. That's good news. That's who he really is. That's who you really are. That's what we're to carry. We are the redeemed ones. We've been redeemed from a false identity. That false identity brought about all the junk. That junk, the stuff that people do, that's what people normally call sin. Junk stuff isn't sin. Missing the mark is sin. What's missing the mark? Missing the mark of who the Father is and who you really are. Because if you know who you really are and you know who he really is, you won't do the dumb stuff. (laughs) 
verse uh, 24, Jesus says we must follow in his footsteps. What did Jesus do? Did he constantly point to flaws and mistakes? Did he constantly point to rules and regulations? Did he deny love, grace, and care? No. He overlooked flaws with grace, and he loved, and he cared, and he healed. He revealed the Father to the world so everyone could see him and the real them. So to be his disciple, you had to do the same. You had to deny who you used to be, not deny you, but deny who you used to be, your false identity. Deny that and reveal the Father. And in doing so, in revealing the Father and revealing you, it brings freedom to those you come into contact with because they see the real Jesus, they see the real Father, they see the real you, and they're like, I'm not being the real me. And so now you've got to ask yourself a question. Who wasn't doing that in this picture? In the passage that's being shared, who wasn't? And so in every single instance, in both of these passages, in Matthew, um, in Matthew 10 and in Matthew 16, there's an antagonist in the passage. And guess who that antagonist is? A religious system. The system that was supposed to know who Jesus was and what he was here to do. That's the antagonist. In chapter 10, verse 17, he talks about the religious councils. In chapter 16, verse, verse 22, he's talking about elders and leading priests and religious scholars. And even Peter, in that moment, was reflecting back to a past system, back to who he used to be and not who Jesus revealed him to be. And Peter even came forward and said, you need to stop talking like that, Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me. Who? Satan. Now you have to ask yourself a question. Who is Satan in that passage of Scripture? Is it the red-horned evil one that we tend to have heard growing up when we were kids? Or is there something else here? Context is key. He's already talking about religious systems and elders and all these other things. And then Peter goes back and tries to bring Jesus back into the same situation, to the same scenarios, into the same stuff. And Jesus says, no, get behind me, religious system. Get behind me, elders. Get behind me, religious scholars. Get behind me, Satan, the great deceiver. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing with with. Language and context. And for some reason, it's almost like when we become a Christian, we get in church, we forget about language and context and how to read. <laughs> it's like, it's just going to happen. Release it to me, Jesus. And that's not how it works. <laughs> and that's why we got a whole bunch of messed up stuff being taught in church. Because we don't... Look stuff up and study it and look at it culturally and where it's coming from and how it all connects. So Jesus is speaking and he's talking about, hey, there's a difference between control and freedom. And you are not one who walks in control now. You walk in freedom. That's your new identity. Your new identity is freedom. 
Your identity pre-Jesus was control. So, here's the question we've got to start asking ourselves. Does Jesus really say not to care about yourself? And, you know, I looked, I, I, I looked up a couple things on Google just to see what would come up. And I just put in self, care, and Jesus. You want to know what the top post was from a major uh, supposed theological website? Title, The Insanity of Self-Care. So it's insane to care about myself. Another one, same website by the same author, written two weeks later, The Danger of Self-Care. So it's insane and it's dangerous. That website has a lot of stuff about self-care. None of it positive. A lot of them using the scriptures that I just shared with you to purport their thoughts on self-care. But can we look in scripture and see, like, what does Jesus think about this? In Matthew 22, starting with verse 34... says the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and they called a meeting to discuss how to trap Jesus. Then one of them, a religious scholar, posed this question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus answered him, love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second one is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. Contained within these two commandments is to lo- is to co- commandments to love, you will find the meaning of the law of the prophets. Contained within these two commandments to love, you will find all the meaning of the law and the prophets. So, once again, who's the antagonist in this passage of Scripture? Religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees. He silenced the Sadducees. Now the Pharisees come and they bring out their big dog. They bring out the religious scholar and he tries to trap Jesus. Jesus starts talking about true love, true agape. And he says, love the Lord your God with, with every passion, with all the energy, with all your being, with every thought that is in you. What is that? That's true love. Right? We watched the Princess Bride this week. Love, true love. Two, two love. Jesus is sharing what true love is, what real agape is. He says, love the Lord your God with your every passion, with your every, with all your energy, with all your being, with your every thought. 
How do we do that? Well, we find out later in Scripture, and Jesus personified it, we love him because he first loved us. He first true loved us. He first agaped us. The release of that agape towards us releases agape back to him, and it starts this process of change on the inside of us. We, we begin to see things differently, and then comes about the second commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a twofold part. It's an A and a B. And the A is not loving your neighbor. The A is loving yourself. The B is loving your neighbor because you can't love your neighbor unless you learn how to love yourself. If you try to love your neighbor and not even love yourself and not even love the Father, because honestly, if you, you can't love your neighbor really unless there's love for the Father. And in loving the Father and, and identifying with Him and seeing Him, you should start to see yourself differently and actually love yourself. Because you start seeing who you really are. And so, out of this true love, it's a, I love how the Passion says it, because he says, he says, you will love your friend. That's not a mistake in the, in the translation, because the translation of neighbor, it means, yes, your neighbor, but you, you are loving them to the extent that you might not even know them, but you call them friend. Which is what the Father does with all of us. He calls us all friends. He invites all to him. There is no border wall to get to him. It's open. There is no fence. There, there is no gate. There's nothing. It's so he calls all friends, and if you fall in love with him and walk with him and learn from him, you love yourself and you begin to love your neighbors, your friends. See, if we are to deny ourselves in the sense that many of the religious ones that were preaching then and even preaching now, then we will actually treat our friends, our neighbors, as our enemy. Because religion teaches eye for an eye. But Jesus taught what? Cheek turning. And it's so funny that in this passage he says... Um, contained within these two commandments of love, you find out what the prophets and what all that stuff was writing back in the past, they was all writing about this moment where I am right now trying to tell you and trying to wake you up and show you what real love is. But guess what? You got in the way. And you added a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't supposed to be there. You added a whole bunch of conditions. You added a whole bunch of things. Well, my intent from the beginning was you to come up the mountain and meet with me. See, self-hatred leads to outward hate. If you hate yourself, I'll I, you're going to hate other people. If you loathe yourself, you'll loathe other people. If you have zero patience for yourself, you're going to have zero patience for other people. So when we learn to love who we are through our love relationship with God, with our love relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
we start actually loving. Jesus reveals the real us. Out of that love for the Father and our newfound love in ourselves, we begin to see others differently, we begin to react to others differently, and we actually begin to love. The new us has found the answer to, I want to know what love is. You guys know who that song is? I want to know what love is. It is right there, spontaneous. I'm going to fall out. We find what love is, and we can experience grace. And since we've experienced grace, now we can be grace. This is agape. This is sacrificial love. And it's so funny that in in Luke chapter 10, it continues this whole um, conversation that Jesus had with this religious scholar. Because this religious scholar wasn't done. The, The... Jesus sharing that love pretty much trumps everything (laughs) wasn't good enough. Do you know what he does? He goes to the extent to say, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't flinch. He goes right into a parable. He says, listen, this is verse um, uh, verse 26. He says, um, verse 30. He says, listen, and I will tell you, there was once a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when bandits robbed him along the way. They beat him severely and stripped him naked and left him half dead. Soon a Jewish priest walking down the same road came upon the wounded man, and seeing him from a distance, the priest crossed over to the other side of the road and walked right past him, not turning to help him one bit. Later, a religious man, a Levite, came walking down the same road and likewise crossed to the other side to pass the wounded man without stopping to help him. Finally, another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. And he stooped down and gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine, and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. Then he took him from his donkey and carried him to a room for the night. The next morning, he took his own money from his wallet and gave it to the innkeeper with these words. Take care of him until I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I will repay you for when I return. So now tell me, which one of these three men who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbor? The religious scholar responded, the one who who demonstrated kindness and mercy. And Jesus said, Now you go and do the same thing. Kindness and mercy flow from agape. And it's so funny that the two, there's there's three characters here. There's the religious priest, there's the religious scholar, and then there's the dog. Because that's what Jews called Samaritans. Dogs. Once again, the antagonist in the story is a broken system broken teaching and the one that no one thought could receive agape and be agape, the dog is the one who operates in it because that one found who he is through love and shared love and loved his neighbor see religion has been fighting the notion of loving yourself for centuries. 
And they love to point to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I was sent this passage of scripture a couple times this week too. (laughs) I just can't stay out of trouble. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 1. It says, but you need to be aware that in the final days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce and difficult for the people of God. People will be self-centered lovers of themselves and obsessed with money. They will boast of great things as they strut around in their arrogant pride and mock all that is right. They will ignore their own families, and they will be ungrateful for ungrateful and ungodly, and they will become addicted to hateful, malicious slander and slaves to their desires. They all will be ferocious and belligerent and haters of what is good and right. With brutal treachery, they will without restraint. They act without restraint, bigoted and warped in clouds of their own conceit, and they will find their delight in the pleasures of this world more than the pleasures of the loving God. They may pretend to have respect for God, but in reality... They want nothing to do with God's power. Stay away from people like these. For they are the ones who worm their way into the hearts of vulnerable women, spending the night with those who are captured by their lust and steeped in sin. They are always learning but never discovering the revelation knowledge of truth. I don't know how many, I, like four times I got this passage of scripture. And I'm like, seriously? Once again, context? Timothy is in Ephesus. Ephesus was a church that Paul had started, and guess what happened after Paul left? All the creepy, crawly, weirdo religious guys showed up and tried to counteract what Paul was teaching. And so Paul is warning Timothy about these guys. And he says this phrase, he says, but you need to be aware that in the final days, and I, I just, it just drives me nuts when people send me a passage of scripture with this and everybody automatically says, well, that's talking about now because these are the final days. I'm like, you can't have final days from like 1930 to now. You have to pick a section, okay? If that's how you're going to translate it, you've got to pick a decade and stick to it. Because if it doesn't come to pass, then give me a break. Okay? You obviously missed it, so own up to it and leave me alone. There's my soapbox, I'm done. Okay? But it's the final days of what? It's talking about a season. It's talking about an age. All right? What age is it talking about? Well, guess what? Paul knows about what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Jesus, in Matthew 24, shared what was going to happen to the old religious system, and he didn't share it out of this angst and out of this ha ha you wait you're gonna get yours he was weeping he was saddened because the thing that was was supposed to set him up didn't (laughs) and now he's showing up and he's saying hey listen guys um all of this in one generation is gonna pass i mean he even gets so bold as to say they're gonna tear this place apart brick by brick and in the last few weeks, we've talked about this before. You can go look it up. You can look, go look at, uh, in history, you can look at uh, Josephus, you can look at other places. In AD 70, the Romans came and they, they wiped out Jerusalem and they tore down the temple and they tore it down brick by brick. They tore it down brick by brick because they caught it on fire and melted all the gold that was inside of it and they wanted the gold. 
And so they tore it apart brick by brick. And guess what's never been rebuilt? The thing that was the icon for this religious broken system has never been rebuilt. Inside the place that they called the Holy of Holies, that Jesus ripped the veil to, inside that place, the Romans put their standards, their flags, that declared their gods and how great they were, which was basically the emperor, the Caesar. And the religious leaders at that time called it the abomination of desolation. So, Jesus talked about this. Other disciples talked about this. Now Paul's talking about this. He's saying, listen, these guys keep getting bolder, and they're trying to stop this message of Jesus. And they're worming their way in, and they're sharing these things because they're in love with who they think they are and not who the Father says they are. So if you want to know about the warning of self-love, that's the warning. If, any, if, if there's anything that Jesus is giving, he's saying don't fall in love with who you think you are and in your past. Be who you were created to be. Be who the Father made you to be. That's what you should care for. And you know, the funny thing is, in First and Second Timothy, there's all kinds of places where Paul says, hey, Timothy, you know what? You should probably take a little wine for your stomach's sake. What's that called? Self-care. Remember the words that were prayed over you when we laid hands on you. Go back to your notebooks where you wrote it down and maybe look in the mirror and say, this is who I really am. Guess what that is? Self-care. We have, <laughs> if, if, if we're not taking care of ourselves, we're going to die sooner than we should. If we don't take care of ourselves, then time and surroundings and stuff is going to take care of us. I mean, even Paul talked about Remember he said, he said, he said buffet yourself? What's he, he talking about being strong like an athlete. He's talking about taking care of yourself, finding out who you are and being who you are and walking in it and doing it. Religious leaders are folks who are still holding on to this old idea. They were a constant thorn in Paul's side. He was warning Timothy to watch out. Watch out for those who still love who they were before they met Jesus. And that's the thing. Systems try to control and they try to seduce and then it breeds. And that's why Paul's warning Timothy. Paul declares that we will not overcome or we, are, we will, that we'll not advance, that they will not advance and that everyone will see their true madness. And that all happens in 70 AD. So Jesus, Jesus does care about you and he wants you to care about you. Let me prove it. Here we go. John 4, the woman at the well. Jesus is on his way to another part of 
Israel. And normally what Jews would do, especially rabbis, they would not go through Samaria, they would go around it. And if you read this passage of Scripture, it says that he had to go through. So there was something in him determined to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? Because he had to meet this Samaritan woman so he could reveal to her who she really was. That's that whole story. He's sharing with this Samaritan woman, this is who you really are. This is what everybody else says you are. A divorcee, a woman who's with a man that's not even her husband. This is what everybody else says you are. There's probably some shame in that to where you feel that, that, that that's who you are. But that's not who you are. This is who you are. You're the one that's worthy of the river of life. And the river of life that I have, you can have. And it can flow from you too. And you can be a river in your city. And you can bring life. And I know all these people say all this stuff about you, but I call you a bearer of life. And what happens from that moment? There's a hub that starts in that city through that woman and through that household that people encounter the real Jesus and the real self. Zacchaeus, Luke 19, 1 through 10. He's a tax collector. Nobody likes tax collectors. We still don't like tax collectors. Climbs up in a tree because he can't see. Jesus looks at everybody else, sees Zacchaeus, and says, hey, I'm coming to your house today. That really made people angry. But Zacchaeus encounters Jesus and sees who he really is, and then he goes, I'm supposed to be a man of integrity. I'm supposed to not rip people off, so I'm going to give back to people, and I'm going to give back more than what I took because I'm actually generous. That's the real me. What about Saul? He killed Christians and had an encounter with Jesus. He found out that I'm not supposed to be killing. I'm supposed to be giving life. I'm a life giver, not a life taker. The woman caught in adultery. She's brought before Jesus. They want to stone her. But what's the last thing that Jesus says to her? He says, I certainly do not condemn you. Go from now on and be free from a life of sin. Be free from, not actions, but free from missing the mark of knowing who the Father is and knowing who you are. Jesus revealed to her who she really was. So guess, up, guess what? When she stood up and walked away, she no longer saw herself as an adulteress. She no longer saw herself that way. She was going to carry herself the way she was originally intended to be. Luke 9, 24. It says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For some reason, when we read this passage of Scripture, we automatically think of the, the Z word, life. We think of Zoe, the real life. But it's actually suke, is what the word means. Suke is the seat of feelings, desires, affections, and aversions. All of these can be affected by our perception of who we think we are. All of that has a connection to our souls. 
So if you have a bad picture of yourself, that's going to affect your feelings, your desires, your affections, your aversions. It's going to affect your soul. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, leave that behind. Lose that. For my sake, for my relationship, come walk with me, and what will happen? Sozo. What's sozo mean? It, it means saved, it means salvation, but it's more than that. It's healing. It's safe and sound. It's rescue. What Jesus is saying, and we, we hype this passage up, and it goes right with that um, deny yourself and all this stuff. We hype it all up, make it this big thing, and, and it's like, it just, it just means you just got to be this bitter, angry, tough. And what Jesus is actually saying, hey, listen, could you quit acting like that and, and let all that go so you can get healed? Because the reason why you're doing all this stupid stuff because there's all this hurt and this pain in your soul because of you thought you were this and you thought you were that. And it's brought all these things and it's affected your feelings, it's affected your, your affections, it's caused you to go after all this other stuff and it's brought hurt and it's brought pain and there's scars there. But if you can let that go and let that false identity go, then I'll come in and I'll heal your feelings, I'll heal your affections, I'll help you with, with your connections and what you want to connect to. When you find out who you really are, you start connecting with life and things that carry life. And once you start connecting with life and start moving in life, something else starts happening. It's called risk. You start stepping out again, you start doing things again. And you start moving forward. But Jesus knows as long as you stay in your past identity, you're not going to move. I've talked about hippos before. I love hippos. Because hippos remind me of church people. There's two types of hippos. There's hippos that move with fresh water and life. And there's hippos that don't move with the fresh water and they stay in the mud. Those that move on to the fresh life and they keep rolling with the river, you know what happens? They have kids, more kids, and more kids, and more kids, and they just keep going. You know what happens to the hippos that don't move with the fresh water? They stay in the mud, they get mad at each other, and they kill each other. They get so aggressive that they start killing other animals. They're not meat eaters. They eat plants. But they'll start killing other living things because of the aggression and because of the lack of life. So be a freshwater hippo. Move with the life. Let go of the past. Let go of who you used to be. Let go of who you think you used to be and step into who the Father says you are. See, when we trust in the Father, when we see who we really are in the mirror, in the mirror of Jesus, and we let go of who we used to be, we find sozo. But to look in the mirror and see yourself and then walk away from it, well, we lose real life. We lose zoe. the Father's heart for us is to find Him and to find us. And 
Maybe that doesn't weird you out, and if it doesn't weird you out that the Father actually wants you to find you, then awesome. Because you're ahead of the curve. There's a lot of people that I come into contact with that to hear that the Father wants them to find themselves, that's a big no-no. That's a big, uh-uh, uh-uh, you don't want me to, no, no. I got, I got a mission, it's mission 316. I got a job to do, it's preach, pray, or die, baby. That's how I grew up. We didn't deal with you, you kept pushing. Even if you were broken, you kept going. Even if you were hurt, you kept going didn't matter. It's preach, pray, or die. You don't stop. You keep moving forward. But you're not really moving forward. All you're doing is moving forward and hurt and pain and eventually when you keep hurting and, and keep feeling pain then you just hurt more people and they're in the same boat as you and so that and they have pain. And it's really easy to go back to who you all that stuff, your false identity, all comes back up again and you start walking in that. You know, I, I, this week somebody was telling a story about their dad and they were bringing up pushing forward and pressing on and perseverance. They talked about how this person just felt like a failure. They eventually got to the point where their heart gave out. They had a heart attack. And the statement that was made after that was, we all knew, you know, our family knew he died of a broken heart. But he put, he pressed on. And everybody in the room was like teary-eyed. And I, and I sat there for a second. I went, huh? Like, that, that's the end? Like, really? My goal in life and ministry is push myself to the point that I'm just broken and hurt and broken heart and I'm eventually going to die of a broken heart that's what that is it's no wonder nobody wants anything to do with us that's not man that's not Jesus that's not the father that's not the Holy Spirit there's got to there's got to be a wake-up call at some point in us to so is there more than just this are we just doing business is that what this is Because I've been doing this for so long and my family's been doing it for so long and I've seen the tragedy and I've seen the pain and I've seen families tore apart because people live this lie that you don't take care of yourself. Families falling apart, broken, destroyed. People dying way sooner than what they should have because of stress and frustration and all this. That is not what the Father is telling us to do. Lindsay and I were having a conversation out here this, this morning, and I said, you know what? Jesus was 33 when he died. He didn't even start ministry until he was 30, so three years of ministry. The Gospels are basically based on the three years of his life, and everything that's in those Gospels, that really doesn't encompass those three years. So now I'm like, you know what we've done? We've taken the Gospels and tried to make that, that's what all of life is supposed to be, and those three years that he did these awesome things, we think that that's how every day should be. 
When really the Gospels is not a linear story of day one this happened, day two this happened, day three this happened. No, it's a redemptive story of what Christ did in a three-year span of time. The dude didn't have a car, he had to walk. So when it says one minute he's here and the next minute he's there, he had to walk. And either he's really fast or he translated himself, but I would say he just took his time and he walked. His other disciples like to fish, and there's always a boat showing up in some story at some point. They're doing stuff, so that tells me maybe we take this a little too seriously. And then when you start seeing it and what Jesus was doing, you just find out that Jesus is just walking in his home country and encountering people and through the encounter he's sharing life with them and yeah he does the part of a rabbi he goes up on side of a hill and he preaches a message or he shows up in the temple and preaches the message but most of the time when he's sharing the good stuff what's he doing hanging out walking working you're gonna tell me in those three years jesus didn't go back and say hey i gotta build this table for this guy down the street he needs it In the 30 years before he started his ministry, when he first started doing stuff, what did they say about Jesus? That guy's a good dude. Isn't that Joseph's son? They didn't go, isn't that that prude? No. That's that guy, that's Joseph's son. What's he doing? Wow. But for some reason, we try to compartmentalize and take all this stuff and shove it together and say, this is how you're supposed to do things. I mean, even, I mean, look at Paul. The, the Paul's journey, he took, was it four missionary journeys that were over the span of his entire life? And he was already old to begin with when he started this thing. He wasn't a teenager. He's like my age when he starts this thing. He's bald already. And so you got him, four missionary journeys. There's times when he was making tents. I mean, come on. It's not like all lumped together and we think that we have to do all this. No, we're supposed to live life. And the only way you can live life is if you find out who he is and find out who you are and then walk in it. That's why Paul could do the things that he did in those intense moments. But every moment of Paul's life wasn't intense. you know that Nick because, I mean you got to read look in there if every if it was intense all the time if it was crazy all the time then why in the world would Paul look at write Timothy a letter and say hey you know what take care of yourself you might want to drink a little I remember your stomach getting upset you know Bubby you might want to drink a little wine you might want to drink a little something for that you might want to chill I mean they, they they still had it in themselves to go. I mean, what they talk about all the time in the book of Acts, they would go have, they called them love feasts. And I don't think we should call them that now because it might have a different connotation. But they used to hang out and eat all the time and bring all the food and invite the neighbors and say, hey, let's eat. I would imagine if they had football back then, they would invite everything. There's probably chariot races. Hey, come over. We're going to make a spread and watch the chariot race. But I'm sure that that didn't, stuff like that didn't disappear. The what? Nas chariot, yes. 
They lived life together. They didn't stop. And if anything, that was the thing that caught people's attention about the Christ-like ones, the Christians. It's because they loved and lived life. And I'm like, what has happened to us? We're so scared to live. And we're scared to love. And the reason why is because we feel like we're not loved. When we're told constantly that we are the ones that are loved. And we put ourselves back into this position of, of Pharisees and Sadducees. And that's the, that's the saddest thing about the Sadducees. Because <laughs> they are so Sadducee. No. Whew. But the, the, when you start thinking, about it, the sad thing is it, not so much of all the, the stuff that they pushed up against Jesus and all the pushback and all these things. And, and what's really sad is that they had, I mean, think about it. They had all these instances in here. They heard it over and over again, these key places where the Father would show up. These key places where Jesus would show up. These key places where you knew the Holy Spirit would work. Because we can go back and read it, right? I mean, we, they didn't have the New Testament. It, was, it didn't exist yet. Okay, it didn't exist for a long time. <laughs> but they had the Torah. They would box it up and put it on their head, thinking that it would do something. They would put it on their door frame. They would do all this stuff but they're completely missing who it was pointing to. And to me, that's the saddest part. Because now Jesus shows up, the Christos, Christ, Messiah, Emmanuel, all those things that we're talking about, he shows up. And, and you, you, would, you would think, oh, we're going to party now. It didn't happen. And to me, that's the saddest part about the story of those guys when it comes, not that they were out to get Jesus, it's because they didn't see it, and they should have seen it. And my question is, are we doing the same thing now? Are we missing the life that Jesus is giving because we feel like we have to have this set of rules and this set of things, and this is how it has to look. It has to look like this. Are we setting before ourselves that, that you know, we just got to get through? Because here's the list of things. We got to get through these things, and if we can get through these things, then I get to go here. go through these things, then we, get, we, then we get Jesus, and then we get Father, and Jesus the entire time was says, no, I'm here now, and the Father's here. What do you want to do? So here's my challenge. This is my challenge, and I'm done. My challenge is do you know who you are? you need reminded of who you are? If you don't know who you are, I encourage you to spend time with the Father this week and encounter his love. To spend time with Jesus and encounter the mirror that shows you who you really are.
If you don't know, I encourage you to do that this week. If you've forgotten who you are, then like Paul to Timothy, I tell you to go and find those places where maybe a prophetic word was spoken over you or maybe uh, something was said, some, something was spoken to you, something was brought to your attention to say, oh yeah, this is, this is who I am. Maybe there's a passage of scripture you read that opened something up in you and you wrote it down somewhere. I encourage you to go back and look at that and remind yourself who you really are. And then go and be that. If you're new to this thing and you, you just know, I just know that the Father loves me and I love him, and, and well then just, just go and walk in that for right now. Just, just start walking in, okay, I'm going to start sharing. The love that he has for me, I'm going to share that. I'm going to be that. I'm going to be that to my kids. I'm going to be that to my husband or wife. I'm going to be that to my family. I'm going to be that to my neighbor. I'm just going to be love for right now. And then as I grow and I find out more about myself, then, then we'll add some other things. But if right now it's just, I just know I, I'm experiencing his love, then just go be love. Do that right now. Open yourself up and listen. So that's my challenge. You go be you this week. Go be you. It's okay. And if you need to take a break and read a book, then take a break and read a book. If you need to go get some Calgon, then let Calgon take you away. Do they even have that anymore? I think Nehemiah just said, what? (laughs) You guys don't know what Calgon is? Oh. Look up YouTube, Calgon, take me away, and watch what happens. Your life will be changed. (laughs) It was like bath salts before bath salts were cool, right? I think that's kind of what it was. You Calgon, you poured it in the tub, and you and you it was like bubbly, it's like bubble bath. It's a glorified bubble bath. I'm all over the place. Anyway, take some time for yourself this week. Spend time with the Father and just be you. All right. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that you want us to be the real us who you identified us to be. We ask that you would just continue to show us through Jesus, the mirror, all the attributes. This is who we are now. This is, this is how we walk now. This is how we act now. This is what we do. So I thank you for revealing that. And I thank you uh, uh, that you've given us this, the strength to deny who we used to be, to, to let go of what others have said, what we've even said about ourselves, the negative attitudes, the negative stuff. We've, we're letting that go so we could take up your message of the good news, the cross. Which is- hey, thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, check out our webpage. It's wearehopecommunity.com. Peruse some of the things that we got going on there. There's a blog, some more media. Um, there's a place to give if you would like to. Um, You can check out some other services that we have got. Um, But more importantly, we'd love to hear from you. And there's a place where you can just write a question, shoot us an email, whatever. We'd love to hear from you. You can also check out our Facebook page and our Instagram. Uh, You can connect to us, connect with us through those as well. But thank you so much for tuning in today. And remember that you are valuable beyond measure.